Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com governance. IBM. Let's create. It doesn't matter how high of the heights you reach or not. We all go through the same struggles. We all come up against crossroads on the daily to have to make choices. And sometimes the harder choice, oftentimes the harder choice is the more graceful choice. And even though you don't always see the dream come to fruition, the goal come into reality, it doesn't mean it's not happening. That was Dulé Hill. I'm Sam Fragoso, and this is Talk Easy. Welcome to the show. Last year, I had writer, director, actor Coleman Domingo on this podcast. Uh, if you have not listened to that episode, I'd highly recommend it. He's in the new film, If Beale Street Could Talk. He's on Fear of the Walking Dead. Uh, he is a wonderful, wonderful talent. And I mention him because towards the end of that conversation with Coleman, the topic of Nat King Cole came up. We were discussing how Nat's story has traditionally been presented in a very sort of surface and one-dimensional light. Not a lot of details are known about him. His personal life is vague. His sort of artistic ambitions are often at the forefront uh, to a point where you don't really have a true understanding of the man behind the music. But what's also revealed in that conversation is that Coleman has co-written this play with Patricia McGregor called Lights Out, Nat King Cole. 
It is currently in previews at the Geffen Playhouse, and uh, opening night is February 13th. It will run through March 17th. What's most impressive about the piece, which is thoughtful and multifaceted, is the performance by Dulé Hill. Before we get more into Dulé, I want to play a snippet uh, that the good people at the Geffen Playhouse have sent us. Uh, it's a recording of Dulé singing Orange Colored Sky by Nat King Cole. Take a listen. <laughs> I was walking along, minding my business, when out of an orange-colored sky, flash, bang, alakazam, wonderful you came by. I was humming a tune, drinking in sunshine, when out of that orange-colored view, flash, bang, alakazam, I gotta look at you. Looking, I yell, Timber, watch out for flying glass. Cause the ceiling fell in and the bottom fell out. I went into a spin and I started to shout, I've been hit. This is it, this is it. I was walking along, minding my business. When love came, it hit me in the eye. Flash, bam, alakazam, out of an orange colored sky. pretty good right i mean i think that's the biggest fear when you're playing someone as well known and iconic as nat king cole is how do you do something that is not just imitation it's not easy and i think dule does a good job of carving out his own voice while still being faithful to the man the myth and the legend of nat king cole in some ways this piece is really a resurrection of nat as for Dulé, uh, you have seen him in West Wing, you have seen him in Psych, you have seen him in Ballers, you have seen him uh, in the movie She's All That, which is a movie uh, I watched way too many times growing up. We also get into his upbringing in New Jersey, performing at an early age for Jerry Lewis, working in scripted television, uh, God, a lot of God talk. We don't often discuss God on the show, and... Uh, it was really fascinating to hear him talk about his faith and how he believes his faith has helped him arrive at this place that he's at right now. This is episode 124, and I will tell you, after you've done 120 plus episodes of a podcast where you have to meet strangers and talk to them for an hour, it's really easy to spot when someone is a good person. It's immediately apparent. And granted, we have a lot of actors on the show and a lot of very good actors, so they could be pretending to be nice. They could be pretending to be kind. But there's a goodness to Dulé that I felt throughout this conversation, and I think you will too. And if you are in the Los Angeles area, please do keep an eye out for Lights Out Nat King Cole. It uh, opens February 13th at the Geffen Playhouse. It will run through the 17th, and uh, you're not going to want to miss this, so check that out. So, here is Dulé Hill. (laughs) 
we have exactly an hour mm-hmm. before you have to go back and continue rehearsals for your new play. Yes. Uh, which I was just watching right now. And I thought, uh, lovely. Dang I, it. I can't wait to, to watch. And I, and I know Coleman uh, is excited for it. And I've heard only good things. Yeah, we're going to have a good time. Uh, I think it's going to be, hopefully be a piece of theater that packs a little punch and brings people on a journey. And also, I guess, will be active and reflective at the same time. Right. I think... Uh, that's totally possible, and and this is something I want to get to at the end because I have I have a whole bit I want to ask you about Nat King Cole, but I want to start in the beginning as much as we can here. Well, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. No, that, that, no that's exactly <laughs> right. I was hoping we could really go through the whole shebang <laughs> yeah. in about an hour. Um, some stuff I have written down. You're born in Orange, New Jersey, mm-hmm. raised in... Sayreville, New Jersey? Correct. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yes, you did. Uh, something I really want to hit on the first opening bit is that at 10, you uh, tap dance for a telethon hosted by Jerry Lewis. I did. What's happening at that point for you? <laughs> well, initially, uh, I, at the age of nine, I was going to dance school in New Jersey, East Orange, New Jersey a dance school named Marie Wildey School of Dance. And I was there uh, because my mom was a ballet teacher there and my brother and my cousins were going. So from the age of three, I was going there just to be around them. Uh, At the age of nine, a show called The Tap Dance Kid came looking for kids who could sing and dance. Uh, I auditioned and and by chance I got it. The next thing I know, I was understudying Savion Glover on Broadway Mm -hmm. in The Tap Dance Kid. And then a few months later, I ended up booking the lead role on the national tour. Our first stop was in San Francisco. And right, bef- right, I think, we hadn't even started performing the show yet. We were only in rehearsals for the show. Myself, Harold Nicholas of the Nicholas Brothers, and Hinton Battle went up to Las Vegas to do the telethon. Mm. And they had performed before, and I think in that, this whole tap section of, the, of that evening, they had a uh, Harold Nicholas, Hinton Battle, Prince Spencer, Honey Coles, and a few more tap dancers. They also had uh, Emmanuel Lewis mm-hmm. and Chris Lewis. Uh, that's where I met Emmanuel. We've, we have, we've actually been friends since then. But uh, I was told that, okay, you're going to go and you're going to do this number from the show. Okay, I'd done that number from the show. Great. Well, first of all, no one really told me what to wear. Right. So I came in this leisure suit. See, this is my whole question, which is you are 10 years old and you are suddenly thrown into a pretty adult and serious situation. Yes. So is there anyone coaching you at all in this? Not, no, not, no, not really at all. I mean, um, you know, I'd met, I'd been working with Harold for a few months, so I'd heard about improvisation and things like that. But I just, I was told that I was coming to do this number from the show. Cool. I get there in the green room in the back. Everyone has on tuxedos besides me. I'm in this leisure suit. So I'm like, what is going on? And I remember Honey Coles walked in because he was one of the last to show up. And he was trying to decide whether he was going to wear his casual suit or, or a sports coat or a tuxedo. Mm-hmm. And I, I, remember, I remember sitting on the couch and saying, well, everyone else is wearing tuxedos, but I have on this, this leisure suit because nobody told me. So this is all I have. And he goes, well, you know what? Since you have on your casual suit, I'm going to have on my casual suit too. So if you go back and watch that whole section, 
everyone else has on tuxedos besides myself and Honey Coles, who has on a like a mm. slacks and a sports coat. But I get out there now to do the do the number. It was a number called Dance If It Makes You Happy. You have a good memory. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that was like one of my first it's an impressionable memory because it, my first time on national TV, if you really think about it, a few months before that I was back in Serville, New Jersey playing with my friends. Mm-hmm. And now here I am on this telethon with this audience and Jerry Lewis is over there. The music's supposed to start. They say, as soon as you do your turn and go into the first position, the music will start. I get out there, I do the turn, no music. I said, okay, well, maybe they just didn't see me <laughs> do my turn. So let me turn one more time. Turn, go into the pose, no music. So I start looking back. And I remember over the intercom, someone says, Jerry, I think we have a problem. <laughs> so then Jerry Lewis comes walking over and he starts talking to me. And I t- explained to him, well, they said that they were going to have some music from the show. And, and the band leader is just like, no, we don't, we don't have anything. So then Jerry says something off of the other. Well, what happens if I just, we just played some music and you started dancing? And I remember in my mind, I was thinking like, oh, this is that thing that Harold was talking about. You, you, mean, you mean improvise? Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah. And you I think said it, that at 10, at 10. Jerry Lewis. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and if you go back and watch the footage too, I remember I took a little, like a subtle step back. Because my mind, I'm like, are you crazy? <laughs> like, well, and also you're 10 <laughs> and it's Jerry Lewis. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> but I'm like, what do you, are you crazy women just to improvise? I, what are you talking about? But anyway, so I just started doing it. And I, they played the music and I just started dancing. And if you go back and watch the footage, there's probably like three or four times that I turn and go into a pose while I'm dancing because I'm looking to end the number, but they keep playing music. So I start dancing some more. <laughs> so, uh, you know, eventually they, you know, we got through the number, we did it, and I was getting ready to walk off. And then Jerry told me to look because everyone in the audience had gave me had stood up and given a standing ovation. Mm-hmm. And then I, and really, if you keep watching the footage, once I walk off, you'll see Jerry start walking back to his, I guess, his desk or wherever. And he kind of like rolls his eyes a little bit like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a long night. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the funny thing is years later, I went back on a telethon, maybe in the early 2000s. And Jerry pulled up that footage <laughs> once again before I came on and danced in, in the you know, early 2000s. That's incredible. But it seems like you had a good temperament. I mean, it seems you're, you're fairly, I'm just doing this and I feel like I'm capable of doing I, this, I think overall I had a, a, a even temperament. I mean, if, I think as well, that look you're giving me. Yeah, means. I mean, I, I'm sure. Like if you ask, say, Hinton Battle or Don Lewis, uh, people who were on tour with me, they probably said, "Oh, he was such a bad little kid," because <laughs> 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 I was always into mischief and things like that. Uh, um, I think overall I had a good temperament, but I'm sure that there was times at that age where I got a little caught up in being because being the tap dance kid because you would go to each town you started we started in san francisco at least for my limited mind it's a big hoopla that the show is here then we go to la and it's a big hoopla that the show is here then whatever the next place is it's a big hoopla so even though you're going to all these towns across the country it's always like opening night and here you are and do this interview and oh you're the tap dance kid and so i mean i i would not i mean it's hard for me to speak about myself, myself mental, like my mental place at that age, because mm-hmm. I don't think I had the perspective to really be able to, right, move beyond myself and look on my, and look at look on myself. But I think if you were to ask people, they would probably say he was a good kid, but he also was like a little bit of a brat. But he was also a kid. Yeah, yeah, which is part of it. Mm-hmm. But also, I learned a lot too, though, because I remember 
there were people who I had met during the show, especially being in Los Angeles during the Tap Dance Kid. Not Emmanuel, because they always, the little sisters were great from the time I met them to this day. But there were people who I had met back then that when I left the show and I just went back to Sarahville and was back to being a kid in school mm-hmm. and I would reach out to people, they didn't really have the time for me anymore. Mm. And I remember being at that age saying, oh, wow, this is weird. Right. Like what, these same people who, when I was the tap, like the tap dance kid, yeah. would engage me. Now, all of a sudden, I've kind of fallen <laughs> down on the list of people to engage. It was, it was a weird, I remember being at the age kind of wondering, like, what is happening? I thought these people were people who, who liked me. How did that feel? Well, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. I didn't think it was, uh, it was hurtful. But I think also, uh, it also was eye-opening. It was enlightening. Of to see how people can be subjectors of persons, mm-hmm. and I, at that age, I remember being very aware of, oh wow, then it's because I'm not the tap dance kid anymore. Wow, you're not doing something. Yeah, I'm just I'm here in Sarahville playing soccer, right? Going on auditions and adoration and, comes and goes. Yeah, which was a good thing though because it, as life went on, and I had different experiences throughout my life that continued to teach me that. Mm-hmm. But as life went on, it taught me to not put too much value in any of that, which I think has helped me be the person who I am today, where it doesn't really matter. Not put value in people's adoration for you? Yes. Not put value in people's adoration of the things beyond me. Mm. Yes. If it's like you were really genuinely into me being Dulé, yes. Because then now we're two human beings who are relating to each other on this planet. But if it's about, oh, yeah, I want to be around you because you're doing this and you're doing that, that is, that is always subject to change. Mm-hmm. So I've, since, since that moment in life, really, I've looked for relationships and friendships that are consistent, that it's a, it doesn't matter whether I'm doing something that's getting any type of notoriety or, or not. It uh-huh. doesn't matter whether there's you know, dollars flowing or not. That's We're a friends. pretty profound life lesson to learn at 12. And it was, a, it was invaluable. I think that it is one of the things that has truly helped me throughout my life. Uh, another one was one of my best friends. Uh, I would say my best friend, Hassan Tatum, who also was one of the tap dance kids. Uh, it was myself, Hassan Tatum, Savion Glover. We were all in this workshop before any of us went down to be in the show. Uh, Savion went first, then Hassan, then myself. And uh, when I was about 15, Hassan was shot and killed. And he was one of my best friends. And it was suddenly. And that taught me, too, the fragility of life and how how to put things in proper perspective. Because, you know, you can get caught up in petty issues. I'm not talking to you because of this. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking to you because when I came in here, you didn't, sh- you didn't shake my hand. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that you didn't shake my hand. but <laughs> I actually gave a pretty good handshake. Yeah, you know what I mean? You did. But you know what I'm saying? So then if... That it taught me, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yes. Uh, for those of you who want to know, I'm hungry. I've been in rehearsals, technical rehearsals all day. And this is during the lunch break, and I'm starving. And thankfully, someone brought me a little bit of food. You're the first person to ever eat on this show. You see, I like to be a groundbreaker. No, that's I what like you are. I like to be a trailblazer. Look, you know from I mean? tap dancing to Chick-fil-A, we're here. And this is me <laughs> eating them. Oh, so. people are going to love that. <laughs> but um, so People are suddenly hungry. No, but it taught me to not be a, like to prioritize what is important and what is not. Mm. 
You know, it's hard to ask you a serious question when you have a fry in your hand, but um, when your friend passes mm-hmm. at 15, how do you handle that? I was heartbroken. I was, I was absolutely heartbroken. I, I didn't really know how to process that. Um, to this day, I still think about him. I love his family, the Tatums. I have so much love for them. Um, he, you know, he's just, he was my best friend. And for him to be taken away so quickly, so suddenly, unexpectedly, I didn't understand, I honestly didn't understand why God would do that. You know, I'm a God-fearing person. I'm a Christian. I, you know, I'm, I did not understand it, but it also taught me to decide whether I trust God or not. In the midst of sorrow, in the midst of heartache, in the midst of things that I do not understand, Am I going to trust him? Um, it taught me to value relationships, friendships, moments, not to take any moment for granted mm. because this could be our last. So if this is going to be our last moment. How do I want to spend it? Even if you started to piss me off, that still is always back there in the back of my mind. How do I, if this was going to be the last moment, how do I want to spend it? So I try not to lose my cool. Mm-hmm. I try my best to be at peace, to be loving, to be open, to be, giving, sowing good seed into the world because you never know when that's going to be it. And when it's going to be it, you want to make sure you've left a good fragrance in the air. Mm. Do you trust God? I do trust God. I do. I made up my mind about that a long time ago, only through through my own experience to say, you know what? It's me and you. It's me and you. Through, our, through heartache, through setbacks, through disappointments, through victories, through joys through pains through the sunshines through the rains through the, the storms <laughs> beyond the clouds <laughs> i think you this know. is a song is it Nah, it could be though <laughs> maybe maybe i'll go back and listen to this and then and then write something you know what i mean beyond the clouds <laughs> um we're gonna take a minute break and uh listen to this song and do this yes. gonna have some food yes a song and a bite everybody see you soon Unforgettable, that's what you are. Unforgettable, though near or far, like a song of love that clings to me. How the thought of you does things to me Never before Has someone been more Unforgettable In every way the main thing I'm, I'm interested in is you, you finish high school. Yes. You go to Seton Hall. Yes. A, a very nice school. I was going to Seton Hall my for business for business finance, and I was planning on going off to law school. My intention was to go to Seton Hall Law because mm-hmm. I wanted to be a corporate lawyer. Did you? I did not. By the time I was in my junior year, in the fall of, the, of my junior year, early in the fall, 
And it's also how dots connect, too. I mean, I'd worked throughout middle school and high school since the tap dance kid. I'd done different things, commercials and some theater and even some film. But uh, when I was at Seton Hall my junior year, Savion called me and said, you'll do it. What you doing? I said, well, I'm here at Seton Hall trying to get this degree. And he said, I'm doing this this show off Broadway at the Public Theater. You know, we need a another dancer. I said, well, what show is, like, what's the show? It's called Bring the Noise, Bring the Funk. Mm-hmm. Word? Okay. He said, why don't you, you know, why don't you come through? So I came through. We worked out. He was like, yeah, come be, come be a part of the show. So now I'm in the fall. I'm, we're, I joined the cast before we got to even the f- first performance. And there we go. We didn't have any understudies. So while I'm at Seton Hall, there is a class that met on Wednesdays at noon. I could not be there and then get to New York on time. So I was missing that, that class. The teacher only gave two tests, a midterm and a final. So the midterm's coming up and I have a show. So I go to the teacher and I say, sir, I have this, I'm doing this show off Broadway at the public theater, bring noise, bring the funk. He's like, what? The show called bring noise, bring the funk. The point being is you have your midterm on Wednesday. I'm not going to be able to be at the class. So can I take the test earlier? He says, no. But sir, if I don't take that test, like we don't have any understudies, so I'm, I can't miss the show. But if I don't take that test on that day, you only give two tests for the entire year. The best I can get is a 50%. He says, you have to decide whether you want to be in show business or get your degree. Mm. So he said, the best I can do is give you an incomplete I took the incomplete for the class. So I pretty much I dropped out of that class, finished that semester. And I said, well, you know, if the show goes to Broadway, then I'm going to take the next, the spring semester off because I, same way with here with tech rehearsal is I know the hours that are needed. There's no way I'll be able to do both. Mm-hmm. The show went to Broadway. I took a semester off. I re-enrolled in the fall. And then I got a, a Showtime film called Color of Justice, which coincidentally starred Gregory Hines. Mm. So, of course, I went to that teacher and said, I'm doing this movie in Toronto, blah, blah, blah. She said, she was nice, though. She was like, dude, I would really love to help. But taking five weeks off is, I don't really know how to make that work. And so I dropped out again. But while I was in Toronto, that's when I really tried to, I started to take the time to to ask myself, what is it that I really want to do with my life? Mm -hmm. And I realized that I really wanted to pursue the arts. Up until that point, the arts was only a hobby for me. I did it because it was fun. I enjoyed it. And my parents allowed me to do it. But at this point, I really had to decide, do I want to go off and do the corporate route and be a corporate lawyer or do I want to make the arts my career? Mm-hmm. I realized that I really want to make the arts my career. So that was so when I came back from Toronto. I dropped out of Seton Hall again and then enrolled in acting classes with Bill Esper, William Esper, who actually just passed away this last week. Uh, And working with Bill Esper was actually one of the most life-changing experiences for me. Mm. I've learned so much by working with him over the the years. And he really blessed me to learn how to tap into the tools that I would need to express myself in the way that I would desire to as an artist. So things are going well for you uh, in your early 20s in work. What are you like as a person at that age? Ah. 
I mean, one of the best compliments I have received over the years, and he, one of my friends just the other day said it to me when he was out here visiting was, like, he's talking about me to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And he said, Dulé is the same person that he's been in since college. Like, one of my college buddies. And so I feel that I was relatively the same person who I am now. Thoughtful, fun, engaging, uh, caring about folks, being aware of other people, like to have a good time, approachable, easy, humble. I, I think that's who I am. You know, I think, and I think that's uh, who I've been over the years. Mm. I'm not one who gets, you know, even when I was d- doing noise funk, I mean, I wasn't caught up in the fact of being on Broadway. I'm like, shows open and shows close. I'm thankful. But I'm not going to get caught up in, again, because of the tap dance kid experience, I'm not going to get ca- caught up in all this hype. Because here's what's going to happen. This show is going to close. Uh-huh. And people are going to move on. And they <laughs> did. And they did. So if, if I start getting all hyped about being a part of this cast, and I start defining myself by being a part of this cast, what happens when this show closes? And that's really how I've, you know, I've, I've, I approach every job through, this, through my career. It's like I don't. I'm thankful for it, mm-hmm. but I don't define myself by it. So you didn't define yourself by your role in West Wing? I do not. I do not define myself by Charlie. I do not define myself by Gus. I do not define myself by Alex Williams. I'm thankful for it, and I'm glad that people appreciate it. Right. And I appreciate that they enjoy the work, but that does not change who I am at all. I'm still me at the end of the day. And whether I'm... I pray that I get a chance to work again and have an even longer career and go off and do even more things that people will be entertained by and affected by mm-hmm. and moved by. But even if I don't, I'm still me. Now, the way you present this world, you know, I live here also and and we're in the same sort of circus of it all. I like the way you describe it. Mm. It sounds pure and, and lovely, and you sound like and seem like a very humble person. But I'm curious, has that ever been hard to stay and remain who you are in the face of the madness that is around us all the time? I mean, I, th- I also know I, I've been blessed. Because, for example, I did a teen movie years ago called She's All That. And that got me into that whole teen world. I have to say, this movie, um, I saw this probably about 15 times oh, really? growing up. This was a very important film uh, in my upbringing here. I was very thankful to be a part of that, to be a, a part of that film. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, and funny thing, I booked that job. I'd auditioned for it maybe like four, four or five months before when I was in L.A. And I went back to Noise Funk for a summer run. And I committed to leaving on a certain day. I think it was August 9th, I believe. And leading up to that week, people were asking me, what are you going to do next? Well, I don't know. I'm going to try to go to L.A. and, and make it happen. Mm-hmm. Long story short, the morning of my final performance, the Sunday, I got a call. My manager, Kathy, called and said, you got to be in L.A. by Tuesday. You just booked She's All That. I was, I was planning on taking a few weeks to kind of get my stuff in order and this and this and that. I'd audition for, I forgot about it because I auditioned for it back in maybe March or April. Mm-hmm. I thought it was long gone. And I just got the call that morning. We want Dulé. And we need, we need him in L.A. on set for Tuesday. Oh, okay. It's, it's just funny like how, that. Just like that. I mean, it's funny how things work out. And if I had, and really when I came back for the summer run of Noise Funk, 
I knew that I could be tempted by the check to stay longer. So when I came back, I committed to a, a certain amount of time and said, no, on this date, I'm leaving. Because I didn't want to, you know, I was getting low on money when I was here in L.A. the first time. And I didn't want to get used to the check. Mm-hmm. So, no, I'm leaving on that day. But if I hadn't done that, when She's All That, would our Miramax would have called for She's All That, I would not have been able to do it mm-hmm. if I had just been on an open-ended contract. But because by chance on that last day of my performance, I was leaving the show anyway, they needed me that next Tuesday. And I was available to go do it. Who the hell does she think she is? There are 2,000 girls in this school, and I could bump monkeys with every one of them. Taylor Vaughn is totally replaceable. Could you spare me this whack shit about replaceable? Because we're talking about Taylor Vaughn here. Sorry, man. He's, he's right. Of course I'm right. I mean, the girl's an institution in this place. Every girl wants to be her, and every guy wants to nail her. Basically, she's you. With tits. <laughs> How has money played a role in your career? I would say it's played a role in allowing me to reinvest in myself. You know, you, if, if, I don't, if I'm not willing to invest in myself, who will? Right. So I'm familiar with this. Yeah. It's allowed me to, like when I was doing noise funk, I was taking acting lessons with Bill Esper. So I was reinvesting there. It allowed me to come to L.A. and, and, and uh, take care of myself for a time being to be able to even possibly see what could happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been a few times where it got really low. I remember near the, after she's all that, I was here living in LA and I had maybe about a month and a half worth of money left. And I remember being over Freddie Prince's house and saying, Freddie, if I don't get a job soon, I'm either coming to live with you or I'm going back to New Jersey. Not that I was going to be giving up, but I was going back to New Jersey because I just, I just don't have any more money. <laughs> I, I'm not going to be pay my rent after another, I got like this month and next month and that's yeah. going to be it. And thankfully by that point, I'd booked Chicken Soup for the Soul all like within a three-week period. After not working for all, for pretty much a year, mm. I had booked Chicken Soup for the Soul, Men of Honor, which if you blink in that movie, you're going to miss me because we never finished my scene, <laughs> uh, and then West Wing. Mm. And I was a guest star for West Wing, and that allowed me to... Uh, I remember I was a guest star for the first four episodes. I was guaranteed four episodes, and I remember that check was going to allow me to at least pay my rent for X amount of time. And I said, okay, well, at least I can make it till right. the next year. But I, the way money has played into it is by allowing me to reinvest in myself by one, being able to do things like that. And also like when I've had projects to be able to get the word out and things like that, right. All that I'm called to do here in this space, I want to do, uh, in terms of the financial side of it, I will, I will take it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, why not? Sure. Cool. If you want to, if I get to a point where I'm making that kind of mm-hmm. that next level, sure, I will take it. But I, but again, I don't define myself by it. So for myself, I have Jasmine, I have Kennedy, I have my my you know my family. As long as we can live our life, I'm good. It, right. As long as I can take care of what matters to me, and that's functional. I'm good. I will take what yeah anything that comes beyond that yes, but I'm not. I always say, never chase the dough. Like don't chase the dough. Don't go out there and doing things just for money. Sometimes we have to, but you have to keep challenging yourself to look beyond that. Because it, if you keep if you start chasing the dough, you're going to always be chasing the dough. And I know it's it's easier said than done, but there has to be times we say, you know what? I'm going to hold on, hold on. I'm going to do this job. I'm going to try to do this because this is more speaking to me. Or this is more 
what I want to say as a being mm-hmm. instead of I just want to go get a check. There's no, there's, no, there's no passion behind that. There's no purpose behind that to me. And I say that being very aware that this is a type of world where you need to make money. Of course. <laughs> it's like of course. you can have all the passion you want, but if you're not making any money, you're going to get kicked out of your house. Uh, it's as simple as that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you won't have rent uh, like you didn't yeah. have in the 90s. Yeah, you know? you know, so, but going back to your your earlier question, I mean, I think money has played into a fact, the fact of me being able to keep pursuing the goal and keep pursuing the vision of, for my life, but not, that has not been the mark. Right. I've not, I've never been one to go after money because, you know, within my family, there's been times where we've had money and the times that we have not. And I've also, again, seen it, seen there where when you have money, people look at you one way and when you, things are tight, they look at you a different way. Right. So there are only those, a smaller group of people who look at you the same either way. smaller and smaller. The people that you can yeah. trust. Yeah, and as that smaller group of people who look at you the same way, whether you have money or not, those are the people who who matter to me. Mm-hmm. Those are people who I who I'm putting roots down with in my life. Have you had a lot of friends come and go? I've had not a lot of friends come and go. I have not close friends. No, not close friends. Some, but not not a lot of close friends. No, mm. but some some over the years where. And sometimes, and look, the time and place for everything. Sometimes it's for a season. I've had close friendships, close relationships for a season. And then it's time it, it has moved on to something else. Season? You mean like a television season? No, season of a of a life season. Ah, okay. Whatever that season is, right? <laughs> Indefinable. Know. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I mean, um, I I'm interested when you get psych, and that show goes on. I think for eight years, eight years, something mm-hmm. like that. That is not only a lot of time, um, but you're doing a creative show. I thought the show was good per, I, all the way through. I mean, it's a really fun show. Are you thinking about what you want in your career outside of that show in that time, or are you fully absorbed by psych? I think I'll, I think often, I, I, I would say always, but I would say often, I have a vision for what I desire next. You seem like that kind of person. Yeah. Like so, there's a focus to you. So... I'm present, like say during the psych years, even during the West Wing years, I'm present and I'm enjoying it. I'm taking it all in, even during the noise funk time. I'm present. But I know that, and I think it has a lot to do with starting in theater where shows open and close all the time. I know that at some point this is going to end, Mm. but there is going to be a tomorrow and you have to at least have a vision for what, where you want to go. You need to set your, your sails in a certain direction your rudder in a certain direction if you want to get there. You know, you're describing uh, each job as something that you worked for, but it seems like starting at 10, even before that, that things have worked out for you. Yes, they have. Is that fair to say? I'm very aware that things have worked out uh, wonderfully for me, and I'm extremely blessed to be on this journey that I'm on. I think the more universal uh, reality is that I'm, I'm curious, what are the disappointments you've had? What are the disappointments that I've had? I mean, I've. <laughs> I mean, look, I mean, I really wish people could see your facial yeah, expression. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've, that was very. Um, it's tricky. I mean, obviously, there's there's been things in my life that have been heartaches and setbacks and uh, things that have caught me by surprise, things I did not expect. Like what? Uh or rather, what are you thinking about? I mean, I, look, I would say. 
I would say, I would say, put it like this, going into my first marriage, I didn't go into it expecting it not to work out. Mm. But it didn't. <laughs> if I'd have known that it wasn't going to work out, I probably wouldn't have went into it in the first place. You know what I'm saying? Of course. I, I don't think I'm the kind of person that takes steps expecting things not to work out. Um, and there's, you know, there's other family things over the years that have happened that was not what I would have hoped and not planned. But in the end, though, this was this is why I say like uh, disappointments. In the end, life, like you've gone through hills, you've gone through valleys, you've gone through twists, you've gone through turns. But in the end, I've ended up in the most wonderful place. Right. So that's why I'm like, that's that's really what I was thinking when you said disappointments. I'm like, well, you see it, it all, all as worked. part of the journey. It's all a part of the journey. So I'm not disappointed about it at all. At the time, yes. At the time, I was heartbroken. At the time, I I really was trying to reestablish my 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 footing because I felt the ground was shifting underneath me. Mm. Uh, my marriage was ending and psych was ending at the same time. So it was career and personal. You know, you know what I mean. How did you manage to get through it? Well, one, putting my trust in the Father above. Uh, you know what I mean. I truly believe that in life, He's always asking us, "Do you trust me?" It's very easy to say, I trust you when things are working out well. Mm-hmm. It's extremely easy to say, oh, yeah, I trust you. If I gave you a whole bunch of dough right now, you'd be like, oh, yeah. And I said, I'm going to come back next week. And I do it again next week and give you a whole bunch of dough. <laughs> yeah. But what happens when I haven't given you any money in so long? Mm-hmm. Or what happens when things aren't working out the way that you had expected? That you know, Say for myself, what happens when things aren't working out the way I expected it to? Can I still trust you? Because that's really when you earn your value. That's really when you... To me, that's when your word really means something. Mm. In the midst of sorrow, in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of pain, in the midst of hurt, when I can say, I still trust you. Isn't it challenging to trust when yes. you're heartbroken over a divorce and the show's ending? Heartbroken over divorce, show's ending, uh, in unexpected deaths, any type of tragedy. Uh, it is hard to trust, but then you have to say, well, for me, anyway, at the time it was, look back on your yesterday. Have I ever left you? Yes, you've gone through things. Because, you know, over the years, we've gone through things as a family and this and that. I've brought you through all of that. You're talking to God now? Yes. I brought you through all of that. So why do you think I would leave you now? If I brought you through all of that and brought you here, why do you think that now I would leave you? Mm. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. All right. I trust you. And now, and now being able to pull the lens back and look back at that time, but also see where I am now. I'm like, wow, that's all you wanted me to do was to trust you mm-hmm. because he has done abundantly beyond what I could have thought was even possible at that time. I mean, for the life that I'm living now with Jasmine, with Kennedy, uh, with our child on the way, I could not have even imagined that that was even in any possible realm of truth <laughs> that it could actually come into existence mm. but it has cause you're the only power that can save this world today you're the only power that can save this
Have you figured out a way to reconcile as someone who is religious uh, the dark side inside of you? I think uh, I would say that's a part of humanity. I mean, that's that's why he extends himself to us in the first place. Because mm-hmm. from the foundations of the earth, that has been a struggle within within beings, within man, to of where to where to like what's what part of yourself to give energy to? Mm-hmm. Which even I mean, even going back to the, as this piece that Coleman and Patricia have wonderfully put together. It is still dealing with that same thing. Right. How do you navigate these these sides of me? So I feel like that's why that's a part of Christ extending himself to us, to me, is that battle is always there, has always been there. It's not new. There's nothing new under the sun. That's not new at all. What has Nat King Cole taught you about being a man? Ah, wow. Um, What has Nat King Cole taught me about being a man? is that uh, it doesn't matter how high of, a height, of the heights you reach or not. We all go through the same struggles. We all are come up against crossroads on the daily to have to make choices. And sometimes the harder choice, oftentimes the harder choice is the more graceful choice. Mm. And even though you don't always see the manifestation of your of what you're trying to do, the the dream come to fruition, the goal come to come into reality, it doesn't mean it's not happening. For example, he was one of the first, if not the first, African American to have his own variety show on national television. It lasted thirteen months. To him, during that time, it could have felt like it was not a, su- a success. Hmm. But again, even going back to what I was saying about my own life, about how I felt near the end of Psych and what I was going through then to how life is now, as you can pull the lens back and go down the road a little bit, it was a success. The fact that I was even able to be on the West Wing, be on Psych, uh, be on Suits right now, has everything to do with the fact that Nat King Cole dared to have his own variety show on network television. And even though they didn't get a national sponsor, he was victorious because look at all of us now who are not even just me. Look at all of us. Coleman Domingo. Coleman Domingo does not exist in his world without Nat King Cole. Mm. So no, you were victorious. You did move the ball down the court. You did get us closer to the, the victory, the promised land, it, uh, all of that. Uh, so for me, in terms of even as a man, remember that, Dulé. Keep pressing towards the mark. All those things that are inside of you to do, keep doing them. Because even though you may not necessarily see them all come to pass right now, does not mean it's not coming to pass. And even bringing it back to a biblical thing, Moses was able to go to the mountaintop to see the promised land. He wasn't able to go, but he was able to see it. Mm. And people and the Israelites did get there because of choices he made. So it's not always about you. (laughs) Sometimes you do things because it's about the journey of the whole thing. It's about moving the ball forward. Again, I would not be on West Wing, on Psych, 
on Suits without Nat King Cole being on the Nat King Cole show mm. back in 1956, 1957. <laughs> it's directly affected. To bring it back to uh, a biblical uh, vantage point, has your faith ever faltered? Mm. Has my faith ever faltered? In the end, I would say I don't think so. There's times that it has been challenged. But I remember years ago, I'm from a young age, I just prayed. I said, I said, Father, I want to know you for myself. I don't want you to be my dad's God, my mom's God, the God I read about in the Bible. I want to know you for myself. So take me through whatever I have to go through so that I know that you are real. And then I've had to go through th- things in life. But because of those experiences, I've been able to say I know he's real. In the midst of those challenging situations, it has always come back to me. Well, when you ask to, to know me more intimately, <laughs> again, like it's easy to say I trust you when things are going great. What about when your world is falling apart? What about when so much, so much things that you put value in start crumbling? Mm. And then but as you go through that, now these, this is the, the crossroads we have to say, are you in it for the long haul? Or are you going to jump off, jump ship? Cool, you, you staying? Now we'll start building it all back up. Mm. There's this a quote that I, I read years ago, and I'm sure I have it written down somewhere, where it talks about love being like a vase or something like that, that love is not this beautiful vase or vase. I don't know how you say it. Vase or vase. I don't know either. You know, I've heard it both ways. Me too. <laughs> but uh, love is, see, love is, a, is not this beautiful vase that's just up there on a mantle looking so lovely. It's when it gets knocked over and it shatters on the floor into all these pieces. The effort that is, that is taken to put it back together and when it's put back together, it's glued and it's, it's jagged. It's not, it doesn't look as beautiful as it did before, but it's, but it's together. That's what love is. And I look at the same thing. That's what faith is. That's what life is. It's not, oh, you on a hit TV show for eight years. It's yeah, but at the end of those eight years, your marriage is falling apart. And now you, and now you, this, this life that you've been used to, this TV show is ending and you don't know what you're doing next. Can you still stand? And as you do that, that's what, and then, and look, and I'm talking from a very, I would say a luxurious, cause I don't know what the right word is. I'm very aware that I'm talking about being on a hit TV show for eight years. Privilege. A privilege. That's the word. Yes. Privileged. It's, it's a conversation coming from a very privileged place, but the principle is still the same. The principle is still the same in life. I have to make a choice about am I going to like stand and keep pressing through or am I going to throw my hands up and, and run away? And we look at Nat King Cole, you look at uh, Dr. King, you look at Gandhi, you look at anyone who is, who is it's always that, that choice that we're, that we're having to deal with and even dealing with this play. That's what this play really starts to ask us in the midst of the, of the struggles that we see in the midst of these crossroads that we come, come across in life, whether it's even about us or what we see happening to other people, are we going to stand and engage and press towards it and make a difference? Even if we don't actually see the difference that we're hoping to make, 
Or are we going to throw our hands up and turn a blind eye and run away? That is always the question that we're being asked. And I think God is in, is in that, that intersection right there where he's saying, do you trust me? Because if you trust me, you're going to press towards being engaged. You're going to press towards making a difference. You're going to press towards giving your all to right a wrong that you know is out there. Well, I uh, deeply appreciate you pushing forward and for um, helping me uh, and the show put together some of the pieces of your life. Um, My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for spending the time to have this conversation. It was a a fun conversation. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I wish you luck with the show, Dulé Hill. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Come on and see it. Lights out. Special thanks this week to Zenon, Marissa, Amanda, Kiara, and the one and only Coleman Domingo. Opening night for Lights Out, Nat King Cole is February 13th. It will run through March 17th at the Geffen Playhouse. You can still get tickets on their website at www.geffenplayhouse.org. If you'd like to learn more about Dulé or our show, you can do so at www.talkeasypod.com. On the website, you'll find uh, the archive for the show. We've had on so many wonderful actors in the past. Vigo Mortensen, Coleman Domingo himself, uh, Lena Waithe, Alia Shawkat, Jenny Slate, Alan Alda, Willem Dafoe. There's so many great people who have come on the show. And so if you enjoyed today's episode, I suspect you may like some of those conversations. Talk Easy can be listened to on our website, uh, like I mentioned, but also uh, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, pretty much wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TalkEasyPod, and uh, if you enjoyed the show, please do not feel shy about sharing it online. Public support is really the best way for new listeners to find the podcast. As always, Talk Easy is executive produced by David Chen. Graphics by Ian Jones. Illustrations by Krishna Shenoy. Our new social media person is the wonderful Crystal Farmer. Our talent coordinator is Ian Chang. Our intern is Elliot Weintraub. And the show is produced by Dylan Peck. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. Uh, Next week is Matt Walsh. I'll see you then. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, 
you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your your perfect home sweet home.